Thanks. That was fantastic. Hey, it's, it's Bible school week, and we are going into the wild. We're going to explore God's creation with our kids. They're going to be nature photographers. We're going to see who will be the greatest wildlife photographer in the history of Carterville Baptist Church this week. And in this epic journey of Vacation Bible School, you will see kids who look like they've been on a safari. We'll learn about all kinds of animals. But the really cool thing is we're not just zooming in on wildlife. We're going to zoom in on some snapshots from the life of Jesus Christ to see what we can learn about our faith. Now, just to kind of help set this up, I brought an old camera that my dad gave me. This was a Minolta camera. And I bet some of you guys had a little camera a lot like this in your, in your possession once upon a time. Now, this is a, this is a fun fact for everybody 15 and younger. Once upon a time, you did not put your camera in your back pocket. Once upon a time, you actually had to put film inside the thing. You had 34 shots, that's it, right? And you had no idea if it was good or bad or if your hand was in the way until you paid $10 to have it all developed. And you said, man, I wish you had kept your eyes open. You might have never even heard this sound. Now, I don't know if you guys will be able to hear it, but my kids love this sound. So let's listen carefully and see if you can hear this. Ready? Could you hear that? Yeah, how cool is that? We're going to talk about being wildlife photographers. So I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, to the, to the fifth chapter. And we're going to talk about an episode, a snapshot from the life of Jesus Christ. Now I've got to warn you as we get ready to read this passage, if you are new to the Lord or if you're new to, to the church, or even... If you're one of those people, like a lot of us, that you've been in church for a long time, but you've tried your best to keep God like at arm's length, you know, just sort of do a little bit, but you've started lately to think, you know, I really think I should let God have control of my life. Well, I want to warn you something about the nature of God. He is up to something. Like, he's, he's on the move, and he's got a plot. He's got a plan. The truth of the matter is, once you begin to give your life to the Lord, he wants the whole thing. Now, I need you to know that from the very beginning. It's going to cost you a lot, but in return, you get everything. And so the story we're going to read about, you're going to see a couple of folks whose lives got interrupted one day by Jesus, and he asked them to change everything, to leave the old path of their life totally behind and to follow him for the rest of their life. And they did it. And today, I want you to think about whether or not you're willing to do the same thing. So we're going to read the story from Luke chapter 5, and then I'm going to pray that God would give all of us the courage to let Jesus Christ be 100% in charge of our lives, that we would have the courage to leave our nets and everything behind and follow Jesus. So Luke 5, let's read it, all right? Here's some guys who are fishing, and their life got rudely interrupted. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. And he sat down and he taught people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. 
Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. All right, but, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. That's a good day on the lake. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. I'm going to pray that God would give me and you the courage to live the remaining years of our life willing to leave everything and follow Jesus every day into whatever future he has for us. Let's pray that God would help us. Father, I call on your name and I ask, Lord, that in your sovereignty you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on this church. Lord, that you'd give us the courage from the youngest among us, Lord, to our retired saints. Father, for every mother, for every father, every husband, every wife, every individual who stands here and looks to you, God, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit and that you would give us the courage, Lord, to follow you into the adventure that's in front of us, into a wild life, Lord, where you are totally in charge. I ask your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes following Jesus means you've got to get out of the boat. You've got to leave things behind. At Bible school, we'll call this an invitation into the wild life, that we would ask you to take a risk to live an adventure. And I, I acknowledge that that's exactly what Jesus' following comes up to. Like you have to begin to do some things that are you know, out of step with your family traditions or a neighbor. They're not going to be the status quo. Don't be surprised when somebody thinks you're off your rocker because you're doing something that God told you to do. That's how it's been since the very beginning, all through the Bible. When God calls somebody and they respond in faith, it looks like they're off their rocker, but they're not. And I'm asking, do we have the courage to surrender our will to God's will, to totally give Him the rest of our future? If so, then let me invite you out of the boring monotony out of the status quo, out of a ritual-based religion. And let me invite you into the adventure that is a life of faith. Let me invite you to follow Jesus. Let me invite you to the wildlife. So let me tell you a story. When I was in college, Scuba Tech, the rambling wreck, right? Last chance you. When I was there in 1994, we took a trip in the winter. There was a, a guy who left a huge impact on my life. I owe him a ton. His name is Larry Salter. He was a bachelor. He was our psychology teacher. And Salt meant the world to me and decades of people just like me. Well, Salt would always wind up taking a couple of students under his wing. And he lived right off the edge of campus. You, you hang out with him a little bit. You'd spend some time. We'd have dinner over at his house with some buddies. You know, it was, it was good mentoring for me. Well, one of the things that Larry Salter wanted to do is he wanted to go to the West. He wanted to go to the Grand Tetons. And so on Christmas break, he rented a cabin in the Grand Tetons. Also, he rented a van, and he asked a couple of college students, me and a few of my buddies, he said, guys, I want to go to the Grand Tetons. I've got us a cabin. I want us to go skiing. I want a snowmobile in Yellowstone. I'll pay for the cabin and the van. 
I want you guys to help because we're driving straight out there and I need some people who will drive in shifts. Are y'all in? And we're like, absolutely we're in. And so we said yes to adventure number one. So a bunch of rednecks from DeKalb, West Point, and Sugarlock got in a rental van and drove to the Grand Tetons. And we drove all through the night, you know, somebody be back sleeping and somebody be talking to the driver and we're rolling through Kansas in the middle of the night. And I remember how cool it was to finally arrive at our destination. So little redneck that ain't never been nowhere is driving that minivan as the sun's coming up in northern Wyoming and, and the Snake River is frozen over. And it's meandering through this winter wonderland. And I'm just staring at it. And I'm just like easing off the road. watching. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It was amazing. Like, we, you know, we never get snow for more than like four hours. And we're in waist deep snow. It was cool. Well, we're driving around in that minivan. And we just don't know any better. And I've got a camera exactly like this one that my dad taught me to use a little bit before we left. Because he said, trust me, you'll want some pictures from this. And so I, I took some film, and I took the camera, and we took some great pictures. I got a picture of the Tetons. Uh, I think I've got a picture of the Tetons in here I want to show you. So it's not great today, but 25 years ago, it was amazing to me. The moon off in the background as the sun was rising over the Grand Tetons. I think it's good. Do you like it? I hope you like it. I don't want to let you down at the beginning of the sermon. And as we were driving through the countryside around Jackson, Wyoming, we saw the biggest deer that we'd ever seen. Can I, we show them the next picture? It turns out it wasn't a deer at all, it was a moose, right? <laughs> and, and we thought, wow, this is cool. Well, let me just say, ever since I got a real job as a pastor and had to pretend to be responsible, like I have behaved myself super well. But when I was younger, the same was not true. I was always looking for an adventure, and it just didn't matter what kind of adventure it was. So we got the picture of that moose from a distance, and I said, I want to see if I can get closer. And so I got out of the van, and they're like, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. I was like, yeah, it's fine. And so I got a little closer, and I got a better picture, and the, the moose didn't run off. I thought, well, this is cool. So I got a little closer, and the moose didn't run off. I got a better picture. I got a little closer. Moose didn't run off. I got a better picture. And finally, I got a picture of the moose. It was like from me to Travis. And I was like, look it, I'll show you the picture. Let me show you the picture of the last. That's the last picture of the moose. Now, this is not like a big zoom. This is a 35 millimeter. It's all I got. So it was like me. I mean, if I go any closer, I've got to ride him, you know? I mean, it's like, which probably the thought crossed my mind. And so I go back to the van. I'm like, how cool was that? I saw a moose. So the next day, we went snowmobiling in Yellowstone. And we had the mountain man guide. His name was Jack, and he was awesome. And he was like, no, listen, while we're out here today, whatever you do, don't get close to the moose. They look friendly, but they'll kill you. They, and I thought, eh. I looked it up. More, more people are harmed in Yellowstone every year by moose than they are by bears. Who knew, right? I didn't know. But boy, I jumped off into the wildlife. I took a lit risk. That was not a smart one to take. But I basically want to call you to the same kind of a life. I want you to get out of the van. I want you to step away from your comfort zone. Get away from the things that you think you know. Get away from the dreams that you have. All the plans your moms and dads, don't throw your hymnal at me. Get away from the plans that your mom and dad have for you. And be willing to follow Jesus Christ into whatever he calls you into next. And, and, and I know as moms and dads' hearts are racing, I see people reaching for blood pressure pills. Listen, he might not call your kids to be missionaries in Africa. More likely, he would call them to be a godly woman, a godly man, 
making a difference in their pine belt, but living radically obedient to Christ. And, and what they would get in return is rich blessing. They'd be able to put their head on their pillow every night with great purpose and peace. They would be able to surrender to the will of a loving God, and they wouldn't have to know him from a distance. They could know him intimately well. And at the end of their life, when we gather for their funeral, you won't believe the things that will be said and the lives that will have been touched because they gave one life in radical obedience because they surrendered to the wild life. They said yes to the call of Christ. They got out of the van, away from their comfort zone, and got a little closer. I want to run through this story, and I want to talk to you about what I think God might do in your life. I want to use this story as a way to think about God changing your purposes in your future. In Sunday school a few minutes ago, we read about Rahab the harlot, and one of our uh, Sunday school members, a good friend of mine, Zach Bergman, had a brilliant thing to say while we were talking about there. He said, you know, your, your story is never really written. It's never too late for God to change who you are and what your story is. And that's really a beautiful, brilliant way to talk about what happens in this story. A couple of guys are going to make a major life change. Like they're fishermen, but before you know it, they're going to become apostles. Like they go from fishing for fish to fishing for people, saving souls, redeeming life, encouraging people. Like all in one afternoon, their life radically changes. And that's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't just change a few of the things you do. He changes who you are. Like he tweaks your identity. Something about call connects not just with the things you think you're going to be doing, but with who you are when you look in the mirror. And what you need to know is that if God can change anything, he can change you right down to your core. In other words, all of us that would look up today and say, Ben, I'm not that kind of person. No, no, no. You weren't that kind of person this morning. But when the Almighty God begins to touch you, He can change everything about you, even your identity. You might just very well be that kind of person before the sun sets. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus Christ. So let's look through the story. There's a radical change in Peter's life. I want you to take a look, just skimming the first couple of verses. Jesus had been teaching. Great crowds had gathered. And Simon was there. We know him as Peter. He'd worked all night long fishing. And now he's doing what a good fisherman does. He's cleaning his nets so they won't deteriorate quickly. That they'll be there for his livelihood tomorrow. He's got his partners, his buddies over there cleaning their nets and another boats. And Peter is called by Jesus. Jesus wants to teach to a large crowd. And the way he wanted to do that is he wanted to create a Sugarlock amphitheater. He wanted to push back into the pond a little bit. And he wanted to speak across the calm waters and let the sound waves echo off the water so that everybody could hear him. And so Jesus says, can I use your boat? And listen to me, Peter says, sure, you can use my boat. You can use my boat a little bit. You can use my boat for a minute. Let's scoot back. This is not asking too much. I'll let you interfere in my life a little bit. And Jesus preaches from Peter's boat. And Peter, I guess, sits there and holds the boat. I wonder what Jesus taught. Did he preach the parable of the Good Samaritan here? Did he, did he talk about the shepherd that goes out to find sheep just like me, just like Peter? Did he teach about seed that a farmer sows that springs up in your heart and starts to change everything all around you? What did he talk about? I don't know what he talked about. But Peter heard every word. And so when he's done, 
Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, let's go fishing. Now Jesus is really starting to interfere. What you need to know is that at this point, Peter knew Jesus. In the story just before this one, Jesus had gone to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She had a fever. Jesus healed her. Peter's loving the teachings of Jesus, but he's still fishing. Jesus hasn't really gotten a hold of Peter's future yet. But now everything's going to change because the first interruption in his world is when Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? And sure, that's just a little one. But the next interruption is, hey, let's go fishing. And Peter's tired. He doesn't feel like it. He says to Jesus, you can look in your Bible. He tells Jesus, I've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. I'm telling you, it's a bad time to fish. Some of you guys who've read your Bible a little bit, you'll know. Peter was an expert. He was a pro. Jesus was a carpenter and a rabbi. You don't let a man with a hammer tell you how to catch a fish. And here Jesus is saying, trust me, let's go fish. And Peter says, no, nighttime is when you fish. We fished all night. It was a lousy night. I just looked up on my phone. It says it's a bad day for fishing. I don't want to fish. But Jesus kept pressing this preposterous proposal. Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. I want to fish. So Peter says, all right, I owe you. You healed my mother-in-law. Let's go. Now, let me ask you this. Where are you with Jesus so far in this story? I mean, are you sitting in the back? Are you one of the guys listening to him teach? And you say, yeah, that sounds smart. That sounds good. Are you a little bit closer? Like Jesus has worked in your life somehow. And there was a moment when you said, God, if you'll heal her, or if you'll help me with this, or if you'll get me through this season, I promise I'll follow you. And he did that. And you're kind of at that, you know, I owe you one. I mean, you've been there for me. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more. I'll go to church regularly. I'll be a deacon. I'll teach Sunday school. I'll volunteer at Bible school. I mean, I'll, I'll clean up a little bit around the edges. I'll be a little bit more of who you want me to be. Or maybe you're at the point Peter is, where Jesus has just begun to put his hands on your life in such a strong way that you feel this critical moment coming where you're going to have to decide, am I in or out? And I'm just telling you what God's up to. C.S. Lewis said, look, if you, if you give God an inch, he'll take the whole thing. And that's what he's doing exactly. And if he loves you, that's exactly what he'll do. Because a loving God would not watch you and me, his children, squander our lives chasing counterfeit gods or seeking short-lived pleasures while he watches from heaven and sees us waste our present and our eternity. A loving God would only allow us to attach ourselves to him for his glory forever so that you and I could be a part of what will matter forever. And he's doing exactly that. Jesus is getting his hands on Peter. So Peter says, all right, we'll go fish. Now let's read the story from there. Verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. So Peter is acting in obedience. Maybe there's an ounce of faith there, I don't know. But Jesus is still interrupting Peter's life. Peter hasn't surrendered. Peter hasn't said, all right, I'm yours, I'm fully yours. What do you want to do next? Peter still believed he was a fisherman, a fisher of fish. He hadn't changed yet. He hadn't understood. Now he's a fisher of men. Jesus hadn't really done his full work in Peter. Verse 6, 
When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled their boat so full they began to break, to sink. Maybe you're in the middle of God's blessings. Maybe you have not yielded your life 100% to God's call on you. You're not totally living the wild life. You're still in the van, but you're driving to church on Sundays. Like you'll give God a day a week. You'll give God your prayers. Maybe you're even beginning to reap the blessings, a good reputation, a family where your children are, are walking a wise path. Maybe you feel some peace or you feel value or your purpose in your life because of what you're taught about God and what you believe about God, but you're still trying to hold Him at arm's length. You're still looking at Him and saying, I'll give you one fishing trip a week, but that's it, okay? And suddenly that net begins to fill with fish. Peter has to react, and he starts to call his buddies, John and James, like, get over here, guys, I need your help. All of them are hauling the fish in, both nets. Nobody's got time to stop and process or to think. And the next thing you know, the, the boats are drafting low. Water's lapping in with every wave. And suddenly Peter's eyes get big and he looks at Jesus and he realizes something that I want you to realize about Jesus. Jesus is not just a nice man. He's not just a good idea. Like He is the king of the cosmos. And whether you give your life to him or not, you're wrestling with the choice of whether you want to follow the almighty God of creation or not. See, there's nothing that's going to fill those two nets with fish. One of two things could have happened. Either Jesus just knew where all the fish in the lake slept, or the same God that created the fish, according to Colossians 1, whispered to the fish, everybody swim into this net when I say go. Just trust me, it'll be hilarious. And when Peter starts filling up a miraculous catch, don't misunderstand, this is not just a good catch. This is every fish that could fit in the net swimming into the net. At first, he's just so tickled that he's throwing it in the boat. Just like you, when God begins to bless, you're just happy that it happens. But then reality sets in and he realizes, wait a minute, this is more than a day on the lake. You told these fish to do that, didn't you? How do you tell the fish to do that? Did you really make the fish? Look at, look at Peter's reaction in the boat. Verse 8. Peter didn't start taking pictures. Peter didn't start counting fish. He didn't start hugging Jesus. He didn't say, hey, what you doing tonight? Because we're going back out. Peter realized that this was over his head. He looked at Jesus. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me. I am a sinful man. Like Peter doesn't want Jesus to leave because he wants to stop catching fish. Peter doesn't want Jesus to leave because he's mad at Jesus. He doesn't want Jesus to leave because Jesus is bugging him. Jesus hasn't asked him to leave everything yet. Peter asks Jesus to leave because for one moment, he's realized that he is in the boat with God's anointed one, with the Son of God that came to save us from our sins. Like He's in the boat with God, with the Trinity. He realizes that he is a sinner. And so this is a painful process that we all have to go through. But there's a moment in our life when we have to swallow our pride and realize that we're broken and we're sinful. We're not perfect. We haven't done it all perfectly well. And here Peter is standing next to God and he realized it for a moment. And he felt the full weight and all the guilt of his sin. 
And for a, real, for a moment, he realized how much he disappointed God and everybody. And the best way to escape the pain is he says, Jesus, would you go? Would you go? Get in John's boat. Just go. I'm a sinner. You don't deserve this. You shouldn't have to be around a guy like me. Like, I, I'm probably contaminating your presence. It's a silly thing to think about, but it's how Peter felt. Here's the cool thing, though. Jesus didn't go. He didn't leave the boat. He wasn't surprised that Peter was a broken, sinful guy like me. He knew all the lustful thoughts Peter thought. He knew all the hateful words that Peter had spoken. He knew all the selfishness and sin of Peter's life. He knew Peter. He knew before he got in the boat. Jesus wasn't surprised to be a friend of a sinner one more time. So Peter doesn't leave the, Jesus doesn't leave the boat. Instead, Peter is called to follow Jesus, have his sins forgiven, to give the rest of his life, not as a fisherman, but as a follower of Christ. Verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. In other words, they knew that Jesus told the fish to get in those nets. And who could tell a fish what to do? Don't say Aquaman, kids. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Isn't that beautiful? Listen, I know if you're thinking about giving the rest of the years you have left to really following Jesus, it might be scary to you. But I think Jesus would look at you and say, don't be scared of what this looks like. What does it look like, Ben? Well, let me tell you what I don't think it looks like. For most of you, it doesn't mean that you need to be a pastor. We've got plenty of pastors. I mean, God's calling new ones every day, but he's not calling you to be a pastor. I think God would probably much rather have the gospel at your workplace and out in the community than just in my office. So I don't think God's calling you all to be pastors. I think if you gave your life 100% to God, what would he do with you? He would send you to college as a person who could fish for people, who could love them and encourage them and redeem them and bring them to Christ. He would send you to the schools. He would send you to your hobbies. He would send you to the lakes and to the forests and the fields. He'd send you to the soccer camp to represent Jesus Christ. He would send you off to cheerleading camp to represent Jesus Christ. He would let you be the one in your friend group that could give wisdom and encouragement and hope and direction. He might call you to be a missionary. He might call you to be a pastor. But much more likely, he would call you to be a 100% committed believer of Jesus Christ who served your local church and the community for him. His glory, it would be a radical change of who you are. But don't mistakenly think that he's calling you to seminary and to, to pastor. He may be calling you to something much more unique and remarkable than that. And it's not all about a big project or a task. It's much more about who you are, about changing your identity. That no longer are you a fisherman, now you're a follower. I want to ask you where you are in this call into the wildlife. So Jesus looks at Peter after coming into his life and interrupting his schedule this way. And he says, Peter, from now on, you're not going to be a fisherman. You're not going to be fishing for fish. You're going to be fishing for men. You're going to be caring about what matters very most. 
And whether God sends you into the army or to the sales force, whether he sends you back to school, whether he sends you to home, whether he sends you to the landscaping, whether he sends you off to paint or build or sell or work at the bank, he's calling you to fish for people. And for some of us, that would require a radical change of our life because right now we have such a, a wall built up in our pride. We want to defend our territory and tell Jesus, you can't have this. I can't walk away from that boat and that net. I love this boat. I love this net. I know about this boat. I know about this net. I can't walk away from the minivan. I can't walk away from the boat. This is what I know. I can't walk away from my reputation at school and change. This is who I am. And Jesus, with a grin on his face, says, seriously, follow me. Come see what I have for you. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that like 30 years future... When Peter is waking up in a Roman cell about to head out to a cross and he thinks back to the day that he walked away from that boat, do you think he regrets it for a a minute? I mean, he could have been a fisherman for the rest of his life or he could have walked side by side with the living God. He saw the dead raised. He watched Lazarus come out of a tomb. He saw people weeping in joy because God worked in their life. He carried the truth of God and gave good counsel and wise teaching right when it was needed. Peter encouraged people who were suffering. He gave the rest of his life away to the will of God. And I promise you that on the day of his death, he did not regret a minute of it. And I guess all of us, one way or the other, have to make a decision. Do you love the boat? Or do you love King Jesus Christ? Will you let go of that for a minute and see what He wants to do with you? So I'm asking you today, as we get ready for Bible school, and we know our kids are going to learn about Jesus all week, and they're going to think about this God who loves them, and we want our kids to give their life to Jesus Christ and follow Him forever this week. What about their parents and their grandparents? What about our guests today? Have you given Jesus Christ your life? Like, have you surrendered your will to His for salvation? And maybe for some of us, you've been saved, but you're kind of like Peter cleaning the nets. You're okay as long as Jesus is just calling on you once a week. But the idea of you really giving your life to Jesus scares you to death. And maybe you need Jesus to stand beside you and say, Don't be afraid. I know about your sins. I know about your past. I'm the solution for it. Come follow me. I want to heal that. And I have a purpose for you. Walk with me. I'm inviting you to answer the call of Jesus Christ. Listen, everybody in this room, you have a finite span of time. And when you come to the end of it, I I want you to know that you used it well. I want you to say yes to Jesus Christ today. I want you to give your college years to Him. I want you to give your marriage and your young adulthood to Him. I want you to give your retirement to Him. I want none of you to hold back. And if you spent 70 years creating an identity and a worldview, and it's hard for you to think about letting Jesus change that, well, good, lead us through the hard thing. Show us what it looks like. Let us walk with you. I want to ask God to bless us as we decide how to respond to this sermon. So if you will... 
In just a moment, I'm going to call you. I'm going to ask you if there's anybody in the sanctuary today that needs to respond to this time of worship. How should you respond? If there's something you need us to pray for because you're trying to make a big decision in your life for the Lord, we'll grab that red card in front of you. Jot down your prayer request. Drop it in the drop box on the way out. If there's something you're struggling through or wrestling with, but you're ready to give it to the Lord and you just want somebody to walk down that road with you, jot it on that red card. Let it snow. If you want prayer, I'll be up here. Mike will be up here. Reed will be up here. We'd love to pray with you and for you. The altars are open if you want to pray privately. If there's anybody here today that's ready to give their life to Christ for the first time, to be saved and to be baptized, we'd love to receive you and share with you about how to take your steps following Christ. But for now, let me pray that you would answer the call of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask your grace over each one of us. Father, we think we know who we are just as much as Peter thought he knew who he was. We think we know, Lord, what we're capable of and what we're accustomed to. But Lord, I know you can change that in our lives just as quickly as you changed it in Peter's and James's and John's. So God, I ask that you would grant us the courage to get out of the boat, walk a little closer to you, to give you every single thing, to stop holding back. God, I pray that for our children, for little Mallory, and for all of them. God, I pray that for us as the adults of this church, that we'd give you all of it. That we'd watch you, Lord, do something beautiful with the rest of our futures. That we'd walk through our roads of suffering and success with you, Lord. We ask your grace as you do your work in every heart in this church. In Jesus' name.